This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. I'm pleased to have as a guest today Professor Keston Green of the University of South Australia Business School. I've known Keston by work and reputation for some years, working with his colleague, J. Scott Armstrong, a professor at the Wharton School. I edited and published a paper they co-authored about 14 years ago discussing science and the principles of forecasting and how those principles were ignored and or outright violated by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change when it put together its climate reports. Although it's been a few years, I've had both Scott and Keston on in the past to discuss their work on scientific forecasting in general and how it applies or should apply to our understanding of climate debate today. Today, however, Keston's here to discuss a broader, a topic of a bit broader scope, the scientific method what it is, how it's supposed to work, and how scientists often diverge from the proper use of the scientific method in practice, and why that is. That's what Keston's here to discuss today. Keston, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks, Sterling, for inviting me on to record a podcast with you. Good to have you. I know you're. Uh, it's early down under where you're calling from, and I'm uh, excited to have you. So before we leap into a discussion of the new book you co-authored with Scott Armstrong, the title of it is The Scientific Method, A Guide to Finding Useful Knowledge. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in forecasting and forecasting as a scientific discipline. Uh, well, Sterling, um, it's, a, it's a rather you know, long and convoluted um, story. Um, but to, you know, to give a bit of background that's also relevant to the scientific you know, method, at, at school I, I um, uh, switched subjects quite often and, and um, I, I um, did um, study physical sciences. I got the biology prize and the physics prize at my, my high school. Um, and my first job out of uh, school was in a, a, a chemistry lab in a, in a soap factory. And, but after, uh, you know, after uh, moving through different you know, various menial uh, jobs, I got together with a, um, a mate who had a, a, a PhD in economics and, and some, um, some business ideas. So, uh, you know, we um, got together and uh, established. Uh, so over the years, over about twenty years or so, um, I um, was a founder and, um, and, and you know, director, you know, manager of various uh, entrepreneurial businesses, including uh, an economic forecasting and, and uh, consulting business, uh, and a. Um, uh, a, um, a market research you know, business, which was again was about you know, forecasting behaviour, forecasting market sizes, and and so on. So you know, I've been involved in, in business and the whole area of forecasting for for uh, you know some thirty odd uh, years. But after about uh, twenty 
years or, or, or so, I um, took it on myself to to get a PhD. I don't have any other degree, by the way, so I, you know, I may be unique on that one. <laughs> so you skipped right through the bachelor's and master's and went straight to PhD. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't. I didn't. Fin- I didn't finish high school. I, I did a few undergrad <laughs> you know, papers and then dropped out of out of uni. Um, my wife was on at me to get back to, you know, that I needed some kind of degree because I was going around, uh, um, you know, giving giving seminars on economic forecasts to to uh, you know, senior managers and and government and and uh, the corporate world, um, but I didn't have any degree, you know, and and um, so. Um, I, I, I found a route back in through doing a, a, a master's uh, degree, and I started off doing the, the master's, which was part paperwork and, and, and part thesis, and, and uh, persuaded the, uh, the university to, con- to let me convert my uh, thesis into a, into a PhD thesis. So I, I didn't finish the, the master's either. <laughs> Man. Uh, I'll have to tell you a tell from my own experience uh, or shared experience later. So you got into forecasting. Well, I, I got I got in, I got into you know when I was doing my uh, you know, looking looking around for a topic for my for my PhD because you know, I you know, gravitated towards forecasting and I, I was. Uh, um, looking for an opportunity to, to you know, set myself up as an as a, you know, expert in a particular area of forecasting. And I, I came across uh, Scott Armstrong's uh, forecasting work. Uh, and you know, through, a, um, uh, through someone that I, I'd been in, in, in business with, I was able to get in touch with, with Scott and talk to him about uh, um, you know what I was interested in doing on, on building on the, some of the work that he he'd done, and uh, and he was very very encouraging. And then I uh, I got back to him with my my results, which were were um, uh, on developing methods for forecasting and and, and conflicts, you know, forecasting the decisions people make in conflicts, and. Uh, you, you, using the the appropriate uh, scientific you know method of, of testing uh, alternative hypotheses, alternative methods, right. um, and uh, you know Scott. When I got back to Scott with my result, he, results, he was you know blown away with uh, with, with what I've managed to do, and, and uh, invited me to give a uh, talk at the, the the international symposium on on forecasting that was being. Being held out outside Atlanta that year, and um, that that was a you know an invited talk with uh, you know commentary from leading professors from from around the world, um, and then the, um, uh, the the work was you know, published in the International Journal of Forecasting following that, and um, so having completed my PhD and published the paper and and and, and so on. Uh, you know, Scott and I fell into uh, collaborating on uh, research on mostly on, on on forecasting. You know, earlier on, and, and more latterly on the uh, on the scientific uh, you know method, which right. you know, un- was un- underpinning all our work on sure. uh, um, on, on forecasting research, of course. 
Which leads to your book. Which which le- le- leads to the book, The Scientific so. Method Guide to Finding Useful Knowledge, which is, is what we were doing all those years. And and interestingly, for the for the, um, the background on, on Scott, too, I mean, he also had a, a you know, an underpinning of... Um, of, of physical um, science, you know, we're both very interested in the physical sciences. He he did an undergraduate degree in engineering. So, what were the two of your objectives or motivations in writing the scientific method of guide to finding useful knowledge? Well, in brief, uh, we wanted to improve the practice of scientific research. Uh, you know, like you know, others, there have been plenty of uh, you know, commentators, scientists, uh, become concerned that research practice was you know, failing to deliver uh, useful knowledge. Um, and we thought we could identify why and, and that we could provide solutions that would help researchers, scientists to do better work. And, and also to help the, the stakeholders of, of science, you know, by, by which we mean, you know, everyone who can benefit from new knowledge. So, like, you know, that, that's all of us really, isn't it? Yeah, I, um, I like the idea of useful knowledge. You know, in philosophy, we talk uh, some of my, my – uh, we're made fun of uh, some disciplines of philosophy, you know, the old, the old adage – how many angels can fit on the head of a pen, sort of esoteric. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you could determine such, determine such a thing, how useful would it be to yeah. know that? Um, and then, of course, you see studies that are funded by government today, you know, the sex lives of tree squirrels or whatever. It's like, well, you know, come on, really – yeah. That's that, that. That's not uh, fascinating for you, Sterling. Uh, you know, uh, less so than than one might imagine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I mean, and that and that's actually, uh, you know, uh, maybe a legitimate scientific endeavor for someone who studies tree squirrels. Well, pay, but, pay, pay, but there pay, are pay, things. Would you be prepared to pay for? Yeah, there are things. Exactly, there are things. However, that I see them funding that aren't. It's like, hold it, come on, please. That's not science. And then. Even when you get scientific so-called research, uh, you talk about how the discipline is slipping. Well, that I think that's evidenced by the fact how many journals are having to retract numerous papers at a time, especially in the field of uh, medical uh, science in the last few years, uh, for being either fraudulent or bad data. No one checked. Um, I know I go back to when I was in, in graduate school and – we were doing decision theory, and and honestly, you know, math is not my forte. Um, I struggled with some of the lengthy formula and and uh, uh, calculations in some of these things. And I finally asked a professor one day, "How often do they check to see that this stuff is right?" I mean, how would you know? I get to this, I, I read the introduction, I look at it, mm-hmm. and I go to the summary to see what they say they're saying, but I can't tell by looking at yeah. it. Whether it's proven. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you go to a conference or you're doing peer review. How often do you check the formula to know if it works out? And he says, oh, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Jeez. That, 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 uh, you know, that would be a fair uh, assessment. I mean, there have also been studies, uh, uh, you know, done that, that uh, have um, – 
uh, found the, ex- the extent to which uh, conclusions of, uh, of uh, papers don't follow logically uh, from the, uh, the purported you know, for, um, premises done yeah. and, and then the findings that were mm. that were made. So, uh, you know, the, these are all the, you know issues that we address in the book as, as problems with uh, with uh, the, you know the, the science. So tell me this, or, you know, uh, I know how the scientific method is supposed to work. I suspect most of our listeners do, but go through it. How is the scientific method, and essentially, which is essentially the practice of science, supposed to work? Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, the way you've, you've framed the question, because, well, it's appropriate, I suppose, because, you know, there is a large degree of agreement um, in, in, in the definitions and descriptions uh, of, the, of the scientific method among the, the pioneers of, of science, which is you know where we you know looked in the in the first instance, you know what is the scientific method? Uh, but yeah, you know, at, at root, I, I would I would say, and this relates to philosophy and, and you know, lo- logic and the logic of philosophy, is that at root the scientific method is. Is, is the logically necessary process for discovering new knowledge effectively and efficiently. So, you know, in the book, you know, we, we summarize the, the, the detail, obviously, more, more, uh, sorry, we, we summarize the, the method in, in eight criteria. Uh, now, the first of the criteria it relates back to the, the point you highlighted uh, from from my answer to your earlier question uh, importance um, and and uh, and squirrel uh, you know mating habits. <laughs> so uh, the first criteria isn't isn't you know logically you know necessary. It, it's uh, study important problems. Now. Um, where does that come from? Well, it, it does actually come from the pioneers of, of science, Benjamin Franklin in, in particular, who, who was the founder of Scots University, the, the University of Pennsylvania. He was particularly strong on, on that point, but it is a common theme among them. You know, otherwise, it's just a game. Okay, So um, that aside, you know, the other uh, criteria are all root logically necessary uh, for discovering new knowledge effectively and efficiently. I mean, there are, there are ways that one can come to knowledge, you know, thrash, thrashing around or by, by chance, but uh, it's very difficult to um, uh, be confident about, uh, about uh, the knowledge one would obtain with, without having gone through uh, the formal uh, process. So, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, our, our criteria turned out to be uh, consistent with the Oxford English Dictionary, as we found out when we went to that after having uh, you know, developed them, uh, their definition of the scientific method. Because it, it, that's, it's unsurprising because the Oxford English Dictionary definitions are based on historical you know, usage, uh, you know, which means that they're built up from, um, you know, quotations of, um, 
in the case of the definition of the scientific method, pioneers of, of, of science um, over the over the years. So, um... so just just to, just to sum up again, uh, Sterling, you know, so scientists do know, you know, as you, as you, as you do, do or should know how the scientific method is supposed to work. Well, you know, to be fair, it's not just me. It's not just uh, uh, educated people. Um, when I give presentations to high school students or college students, early college students, I've I've spoken to both on multiple occasions, and I, I of course talk to them largely about climate science. Uh, but the method is the same, and I asked them. I said, "You tell me if I'm lying to you when I tell you this is how it's supposed to work." And then I describe it. I say, "Look." You have a phenomena you want to explain. I don't talk about the importance of the phenomena, but uh, we can get back to that. But you have a phenomena you want to explain, and you have a hypothesis of what um, is responsible for the phenomena, and you develop a theory for how it uh, came to be or why it is the way it is, and then you test it against... Um, you, you develop tests against your theory. You you make predictive uh, if X, then Y, but not Z. And then you consistently see Z. You say, well, hold it. Then maybe the theory is wrong. Um, so you test these things against reality. And the more they com- comport with uh, what uh, empirical data shows to be true, um, then the, the more likely the theory is to be false. But the more they fail to comport with what the data shows to be true, the less likely the theory is to be. And and I've never had a student say, no, that's not what the scientific method is. That's not how it's supposed to work. They all agree that that's how it's supposed to work. What? Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a lovely um, uh, um, illustration, I think, of the, of the, of the point. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that's great. I, I, I think that's really um, encouraging that uh, – you know that we all do know at, at, at some level what the scientific method is is about. We, you know, we we finesse that you know some uh, somewhat, if you like, and it's not it's not as if we're new on on this because the the, the idea goes you know way way back. But Chamberlain and you know, around um, 1900 or so, but earlier than 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 that, uh, observed that the the, the disciplines that advanced fastest, accumulated you know, for new knowledge fastest, uh, were the ones that tested multiple alternative hypotheses. Yeah. So the the, the um, an issue that arises uh, with the 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 um, you know the more limited definition where you you, you take a hypothesis. You know, one hypothesis and test it um, is the the human uh, you know, tendency to to favour a hypothesis. Whereas he uh, you know, pointed out if where scientists were prepared to test other hypothesis other hypotheses than their favourite, uh, you know, one to see which one's best, um, they were more likely to find new knowledge rather than um, find that, that, that their own favoured one was. Uh, you know, good good enough without having the context of comparing it with others that might be competing hypotheses that might be better. 
Yeah, sort of, you know, my, my sort of heroes of science and the scientific method, one of them goes way back. I think he's, I would say in one sense, a lot of people go back to Aristotle, and Aristotle was great at categorizing things, uh, but um, I think his metaphysics, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, maybe don't hold up so well. Mm-hmm. But uh, Roger Bacon, um, or is it Roger or Francis Bacon? I'm having a senior moment here. Uh, but he talked about the uh, necessity of testing uh, way back, yeah. uh, way back when. And, you know, he was the first person to say you got to have empiricism. You know, got to do yeah. empirical testing. Yeah. And then, of course, Karl Popper, who talks about falsifiability. Uh, I'm a philosopher, so philosophers rise to my mind. But before we before we move on to sort of the next question, I want to get to you mentioned. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't want you to go into to great detail on each one of these points. But you said there's eight eight key um, criteria criteria of uh, uh, the scientific method. Could you tell us what they are? Sure. Well, you know, the first one um, is study important problems. You know, that, that, um, feel free to play games in your own own time, but if you want to do science, study important problems. Um, build on prior knowledge. Provide full disclosure. Uh, use objective designs. Use valid and reliable data. Use valid and, and simple methods, Occam's razor, and use experimental evidence. And when we say experimental evidence, we broadly define. So this is also applicable to the social world as well, as well where perhaps we're uh, dependent on, on natural experiments in many cases, though uh, Vernon Smith, Nobel laureate in economics, Vernon Smith, who, who wrote a Afford for our uh, book um, is a pioneer of experimental economics, where oh, yeah. he no, made know. some very uh, you know useful uh, discoveries about things that economists um, had speculated on, and 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 in, in some cases speculated wrongly about the the nature of perfect um, uh, the, the the need for uh, the criteria for perfect competition. When he found that in practice, uh, very um, few of the, the criteria for um, perfect competition needed to be uh, present in, in, in order for the markets to be um, efficient. Um, so experimental evidence, um, and as, as he points out himself, Vernon Smith, you know, experimenters uh, you know, get cleverer and cleverer, more creative and, um, and test things. Um, and, and, and so he sees no limit to, to what can be achieved with the experimental method, even in the social science economics area. Yep. And, and, and finally, um, draw logical conclusions. And uh, it may seem trivial, but as I, I mentioned a bit earlier, <laughs> Uh, Sterling, uh, many papers um, have conclusions uh, often presented in their abstracts that are uh, at odds with what was actually could be found and was found 
in the paper them, themselves, and there are all kinds of political reasons for that. But in, you know, in some cases, it's uh, just, just sort of wish fulfillment. So, in, in 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 the climate field, I know you avoid that in this book, but what I found is violated most often. You mentioned uh, valid data. Often they don't use data at all; they reference models. Um, the conclusions, even when they use data, are often uh, couched in a way to hedge their results. So, a young scholar will write a paper saying. Uh, you know, we've gone out, we've done this field research, we've looked at the, the data, and we find that hurricanes haven't increased over the past century in severity, in number or strength. But then they have a caveat at the end in their abstract saying, but we're not saying climate change isn't causing worsening hurricanes. It's like, well, what? <laughs> Your data is saying that. <laughs> uh, but they couch that in there so they don't get accused of being you know, deniers and, and not getting grants and things. And then the, uh, the, 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 uh, what was the second or third one? Um, uh, well, we build on prior knowledge, um, provide full disclosure. There you go. Provide full disclosure. Well, that's, that's out the window in climate science and, and a lot of, not just climate science, in a lot of environmental science research, uh, clean air research is all done with, with secret science. You, you can't get at the stuff. Uh, they say, oh, it's proprietary. We can't, we can't, uh, you know, it would violate, uh, uh, it would violate privacy rules or something. It's like, well, hold it. Then, then how can we test this, um, to, to confirm the validity of your research? Well, trust us, they tell us. Yeah. Well, uh, well, what we're, we're suggesting is, is that, um, if, uh, if, if a research claim, a knowledge claim, um, is, is, is based on, uh, research that uh, isn't consistent with these criteria, then we, we, we should give it no credence. Well, I wish I wish that was the case. I wish that were the case, but certainly not in the environmental field. So what do you see as the key problem or problems with the practice of scientific research today? In other words, what not only what are the problems, but what's caused the problem? Well, you know, it's a, it's a good day to ask that question because, you know, here in Australia, we're a day ahead of you in the, in the U.S. So it's uh, the 12th of October, which according to my um, calendar is Free Thought Day, <laughs> uh, which, which is, is, is the day that spectral evidence was banned in the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, wow. So... <laughs> Uh, we will, you know, we may have thought we've solved the problem by getting rid of, of, of spectral evidence, but uh, uh, there's all kinds of other uh, claims that we do see that that are, are not consistent with the scientific method as we've just described it. So the the short answer to your, your question, uh, and we can elaborate um, as we you know, further on. The short answer is that the human nature. Uh, and incentives very much, very often get in the way of the proper practice of the scientific method. Human nature and incentives. And incentives in this case, um, in, in my opinion, and it's in the opinion of some others, uh, some people who do research on, you know, philosophy of science, 
they think one of the problems with the incentives, this and this, if, if it wasn't recognized before, it was certainly recognized by Dwight David Eisenhower in his uh, farewell address, is the corruption of science um, by governments, the role of governments in scientific research. Um, you know, what do you think of that? Well, you know, we, we include that uh, that famous uh, Dwight Eisenhower, um, uh, you know, statement in, in our book. Yep. Um, the more, you know, we didn't start from that position, but the more uh, that we looked at what was going wrong in the practice of, of science, uh, the clearer it became to us that the, the major root cause of what was going wrong was government involvement, and and why is that? Well, you know, governments are, are, are monopolies. Um, it it uh, seems to be uh, you know generally accepted that, that monopolies are, are are a bad thing. I mean, governments maintain that monopolies are bad things and and, and you know bust them up. But you know, in this case, they are uh, you know acting as a, a, a monopoly. If if they become involved with science, you know, at all. Uh, you know, research is tends to become a monopoly activity, uh, particularly in, in areas that are that are especially important, that are important for for uh, people's lives, because uh, you know governments and, and the people who are you know running the the uh, uh, science funding and the science regulation you know really care about these things, um, and and so we increasingly. Have increasingly over the years heard the phrase "the science," and what <laughs> right. does "the" mean? I mean, "the science" means uh, official monopoly science. Yeah, as if as if there was one overarching theory to encompass all the different sciences that that you know that that, that exist, and uh, they all fall under this one universal universalizing theory. And I, I, well, you know, if they do, it's it's the theory that. Uh, what government funds and controls is what government call, calls the tune, and, and government is a is a public good. You know, uh, people have interest in swaying it. Uh, most people don't. Uh, you know, they're 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 rationally ignorant of of day to day workings and how two or three cents of their dollars gets uh, put towards causes that concentrate a lot of benefits and uh, uh, disperse the costs. And uh, the kind of people that are attracted to government, another economist, public choice economist, uh, uh, Gordon Tullock and uh, uh, Nobel Prize winner um, Smith. Gosh, once again, another senior moment. He won the Nobel yeah. Prize. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, they, 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 you like, know, they, like, like you, I've got the name on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, uh, they... Uh, I can picture him. I've met him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like yeah. Vernon. I can picture Vernon. Uh, but I can't remember his, uh, golly, that's just embarrassing. It's In any case, uh, you know, the, um, uh, they point out that, you know, the types of people that are attracted to government, but, you know, government, when you say it's monopoly, what it's a monopoly of is power. And power corrupts. Gordon Tullock. No, I said, already said Gordon Tullock. You have, yeah, that's James right. James Buchanan James Buchanan Buchanan Buchanan, James Buchanan. thank you yeah so yeah. 
you know, you, 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 the people that are attracted to government, uh, a lot of them are people who want to wield power, whether for their own ends or because they think they know best how other people ought to live. Well, well, that that is an important qualification on on um, the monopoly because uh, um, a government monopoly is different, or a government supported monopoly is different from a from a private monopoly because, as you say, with government has the, the ultimate power to uh, uh, lock people up, take away their lives, uh, and and and, um, and so on, and uh, you know we've certainly. Um, uh, well, we don't need to go into that, but yeah. So, um, power, force, the, the monopoly on on force, um, the monopoly on um, what um, you know what what will be funded by by government, and but also not not just direct government you know, funding, but if if the if the government are, are endorsing a particular. Uh, um, Conclusion that they want to get to, or a particular hypothesis, uh, then it feeds right through the system, through the through the universities, through the journals, uh, and um, and and into the to the private sector, where um, few are actually daring to go against the, uh, the 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 official monopoly science. So it, it's. But you know, talking about the science, as you as you suggested, is uh, um, completely um, antithetical, uh, antithetical to the to the proper uh, practice of the scientific method, which requires scepticism, uh, ongoing scepticism, and uh, testing alternative hypotheses. You know, genuinely testing plausible alternative alternative hypotheses. And that is effectively banned under monopolies of science, you know, both scepticism and, and testing, uh, you know, alternative hypotheses that are, are not uh, regarded as acceptable. And, and, you know, in order not to, you know, cloud it by current issues that, that uh, people are, uh, that we're, we're still living through, uh, think of Lysenkoism in the, in the Soviet Union uh, and uh, the dreadful uh, results of, of, of that, where Lysenkoism was, was this, Lysenko was this uh, chap who had a, different ideas about uh, evolution and genetics. Um, and um, as, a, as a result of, of, of those, he, he thought that he, he could um, uh, um, develop plants, uh, crops, uh, and, and so on uh, by uh, Exposing them to to stress rather than genetic <laughs> selection methods, and you know that resulted in famine. It resulted in in um, scientists who opposed um, uh, you know these the, the, this uh, this um, rather bizarre hypothesis, as we know from the evidence, um, were, were sent off to the gulag. Yeah, they went to the wall in many cases. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, you know, you go back to the early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century, and you look at the way uh, social Darwinism developed, uh, you know, twisting uh, Darwin's sort of essential thoughts into uh, a social program that... that uh, you, you, eugenics. Uh, yeah, that. eugenics that did not, mm-hmm. uh, did not uh, was not tailored to produce good results for a lot of people, you know, because they were thought to be uh, less... Uh, Less, mm. In some respects, less than human. Um, 
So, um, you know, the, the one thing you talk about government's goals. And, and those were just to make the, the point on, on that, you know, eugenics, yeah. the, the social Darwinism, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that, that really what was the established science. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. No. You know, the establishment science, the government. Uh, you know, uh, science, government-supported science. I mean, in, in, in um, Nazi Germany, in the most extreme, but but also in uh, you know other. Um, hey, you know, it was with... practiced in the U.S. It was uh-huh. practiced in the U.S. It was practiced mm-hmm. in other countries and all over yeah. you know uh, all over Europe. Uh, this yeah. is not a you know the, the Nazis aren't solely at fault for every evil that happened in the early part of the twentieth century, the mid twentieth century. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that started elsewhere, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, you talked about the different goals, both in scientific disciplines but it, it, of government. But the, the one goal that I found that's overarching in government and thus um, I think has trickled down to the sciences is growth. <laughs> government has the quest mm-hmm. in all agencies to grow. To expand their mission, to expand their staff, to expand their budget, and I think that that's leaked down into the scientific uh, field as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's an important point. Yeah. So, in your book, you propose solutions to what you call the corruption of science. Um, Raleigh, one is to do with the role of government research. Uh, the other is the use of checklists. What you know? What solutions do you propose? And why do you think they would tend to fix the problem, or, or at least improve the practice of science? Uh, well, the um, one uh, you know solution that, that comes out of what we've we've just discussed is is to get government out out of science. Okay, I mean that that's and, and we can't see a way for. Um, for, for major improvements in the practice of, of science without serious reductions, at least, in, in government funding and regulation of research. And the, the ideal would be um, uh, would be no government um, funding or, or, or regulation because um, you know, even, even, a, even a small amount um, lends the authority and power of, of government to particular hypotheses, doesn't it, which can feed down through the whole you know, research um, system, um, you know, except perhaps in, in the area of, um, of, of defence and, and national security is a, is a possible exception. Uh, going back to the philosophy of the proper role of, of government, uh, but having 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 said that, the the other you know solution on solutions that we that we propose. Uh, are in, in the form of, of checklists, and uh, to some extent, the, the, the checklists offer ways to, to you know ameliorate or deal with government involvement. But that, that can no mean by no means be, be perfect at, at, at dealing with that. So, why, why checklists? Well, you know, checklists are actually one of the you know the great um, you know, inventions, dis- discoveries. Um, of, of, of the world that um, of, of science that um, 
because they make an enormous difference. And, and uh, we talk about the research on, on checklists, which is, is, is very interesting because, it, you know, it turns out that even, um, for, um, for, for, for problems, um, for, for situations where the practitioner knows very much what proper practice involves, and the checklist isn't telling them anything they don't know, to actually have that checklist and to to be obliged to to honestly complete it, you know, tick off each of the of the steps of the, the procedure that they're undertaking saves lives. And this has been demonstrated very strongly in the in the area of, of medicine and, and, and the example that comes to mind is if I remember the terminology properly, it's to, to do with the um, um, placement and, and removal of, of um, venous catheters. And um, the, 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 the steps are um, pretty much common sense and certainly should be in uh, um, common knowledge of, of um, you know, nurses and doctors doing the, the procedure. A lot of it's to do with, with hygiene. But um, prior to the, the use of checklists, there was a de- there were death rates, and, and you know the death rates I guess were sort of seen as, as, as acceptable um, from 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 infection because you know that's what happened, and they happened uh, everywhere. But uh, when uh, the researchers uh, implemented the checklist that says, well, you know, make sure you've done done all five steps, I think I think it was tick it off on the box, uh, the death rates fell to zero. So, you know, that's dramatic stuff that that we can, you know, imagine putting ourselves in that situation, can't we, as a hospital, uh, you know, patient and and, and thinking, well, you know, gosh, um, I do hope they're using a checklist. (laughs) And and similarly, in more um, complicated situations, like flying a a commercial, uh, uh, you know, airliner, um, checklists have been used there for, um, you know, re- really since the very early days when as soon as flying a plane you know, became uh, a bit more complicated than uh, driving a, a car. Yeah, com- so, as soon as it became commercial and, and professional, um, mm-hmm. they developed checklists. You're right. So, yeah. And boy, your- you know, if you, if you were using, a, if, if you didn't use a checklist in, 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 in that you know, situation, you, you, you're, you're, you individually and the, the firm you work for uh, could be in a lot of trouble for, um, for, for, for compensation for anything that went, went wrong. So, you know, we asked, well, why should science be any, any different? And, and as we discussed earlier, um, although we, we, you know, most of us have got a, a reasonable idea of what the scientific method involves. It's a, it's a different matter in, in practice. Actually, going through um, all the steps and 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 doing so, um, you know, properly, and uh, the checklists. And we have uh, we've provided um, a, a number of, of, of checklists. I've, I haven't got the count in front of me at the, at the moment, but quite, but quite a, a, a few that have uh, you know different uh, purposes. I mean, one is the the uh, 
the, 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 the standard you know, checklist for the scientific method. This is, this is how you know if you're doing science or how, how you'd know if you were evaluating someone else's scientific claim in the form of a, of a, a published paper or, or perhaps a news report. Uh, you know, am I or has this person properly followed the scientific method? And uh, it, it's a bit like links in a, in, in a chain, isn't it? If you, if you miss, uh, you know, one um, step or, or don't properly uh, um, undertake, you know, one step, it causes calls the whole, uh, you know, thing into, into question. And uh, so we have other, other checklists that, um, well, that particular checklist, we, we encourage uh, journal editors, for example, to, to use to qualify papers as uh, having followed the scientific method. Uh, you know, anyone reviewing a, a, a paper uh, could use it. Uh, we have other, uh, um, um, you know, checklists for scientists on writing, on writing papers and, and, and so on. But that key uh, uh, checklist can also be used by um, in, investigative you know, journalists, uh, by, you know, columnists who are, who are wanting to, uh, you know, examine the, you know, the latest um, uh, famous, you know, scientific uh, discovery or claim to have made a scientific discovery and, and, and so on. So it, it provides a, a, um, an evidence-based, you know, you know logical um, way of checking whether something is if only If only we still had investigative journalists that would think about that, but there you go. So, Keston, uh, big picture, because we, we've run a little long here. Um, if you could make just one point, what's the most important point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today? Buy the book. <laughs> buy, buy the book to get to get the tools to, to be a better scientist um, or a better assessor of scientific yeah. claims. Well, how do they buy the book? Tell us about that. How do they buy the book? Well, you know, look, I've, I've set up um, um, you know, URLs that will will get you straight to the Cambridge uh, site, the publisher's site. Uh, so if you put into your browser, thescientificmethod.info, no punctuation apart from the dot before the info, that will take you to the Cambridge page uh, for the book. And if you type in guidelinesforscientists.com, that will take you straight to the Amazon pages. There you go. Well, we've been pleased you could be with us today. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you, Sterling. I much appreciate it. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Keston Green and the uses and abuses of science. And as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. In addition, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye.